This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Our wonderful, wonderful guest today. Uh, this is going to be exciting. We've got uh, author Diane Kelly coming on board, and Diane's got a new book out called Paw of the Jungle. So it's a little bit about the uh, sort of a uh, police academy, a dog super sleuth type thing, uh, solving mysteries along the way. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be exciting to get into some of the details, a little bit of the tidbits, but not give away the whole story, of course. But obviously, when you have a, a super sleuth and you've got uh, a dog involved, you know it's going to be a good uh, good series, good uh, book. So everybody's going to get excited about that. So that being said, let's take a quick commercial break. Uh, we'll come back with author Diane Kelly right after this. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And join us now is the former state assistant attorney and uh, attorney general for Texas, Texas Citizen Police Academy graduate, and now wonderful author. He's got a great series, uh, IRS Special Agent Tara Halloway series, and um, her latest book is Paul of the Jungle. Welcome to the show, Diane Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on board. And we're excited about the uh, the latest novel, the Super Sleuth novel, as I'll call it. Tell us a little bit about uh, Paw of the Jungle. Well, this one was especially fun to write because not only did I get to write my canine team, which is a lot of fun, but I set a big part of the plot in the city zoo in Fort Worth. And I involve a lot of other animals. The um, plot line is that someone is stealing animals from the zoo. And so the canine team has to figure out who's doing it, where these animals are going, and you know, try to rescue them and get them back to the zoo. There you go. Now, so interesting twists and turns because you know a lot of uh, the uh, sort of the super sleuth novels, as I call them, you know, the canine partner in crime type novels. A lot of them have to do with uh, you know solving a uh, let's say uh, uh, something to do with a uh, domestic animal or something's come up missing at a uh, nearby uh, restaurant or retail center. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you come up with the idea of uh, incorporating a book and all the other different jungle animals in there? Well, it kind of came from from several different news reports that I heard that just kind of stuck in my mind. I remember after Hurricane Katrina hit, at that time I was still living in Texas, and there was a report of some dolphins that had gotten washed out of an aquarium that they found out at sea doing flips, and they noticed, okay, normal dolphins aren't out there doing this kind of thing, so they were able to rescue them. And then I heard of, you know, occasionally I'd hear a report of an animal getting stolen from the zoo. And I thought, well, how the heck do people get away with that? You know, there was some type of shark stolen from an aquarium in San Antonio. There was a little monkey out in California. And there was also issues uh, when I did live in Texas, there was an issue where a gorilla got out of a cage in Dallas and unfortunately had to be 
killed to, um, you know, stop what could have been a very dangerous situation. So I just was very intrigued by those situations and how we deal with that and our relationship, you know, as human beings with zoo animals. So um, kind of all that came together in, in coming up with the plot line for that book. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's an interesting take. And like you said, it gives you an opportunity to add, uh, you know, a plethora of different types of animals into it, uh, not just uh, some uh, domesticated animals. Though you've got a uh, hyacinth macaw as one of the characters in the book. And uh, those, I guess, could be a domesticated animal, depending on what part of the country and, and what your view of a uh, domesticated animal is. And how much money you've got to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> and how many years, yeah, and how many years you have left to live. That's the, right. that's, yeah, my uh, my father-in-law has uh, several parrots, and some of them are getting up in age, but he's getting even up more up in age, and so he keeps threatening that they'll end up at our doorstep, and we're <laughs> like, well, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not sure if the dogs and cats and everything is going to love having a big parrot around, uh, but uh, yeah, that's something to consider for sure. I'd be curious to see if the parrot learns the dog commands and tries to boss it around. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, yes. Well, one of the parrots that he does have can sing glory, glory, hell. Yes, so that's, that's always nice. <laughs> a parrot patriot, huh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about some of the, the main characters, maybe the returning characters, and maybe how they've grown or how they've developed since, uh, you know, your first novel. So in this series, this is the eighth book in the series. And at the very beginning, my female police officer, Megan Luz, is a rookie. And she is partnered at that time with a human partner who is not at all your uh, poster child for a great cop. He's very crude. He's sexist. He does a lot of things that set off her Irish temper. (laughs) And unfortunately, she ends up tasering him where the sun doesn't shine. And they end up in the chief's office. And uh, lucky for her, the male partner who was kind of a jerk is, you know, good friends with the fictional chief. And so to kind of save both their hides, he lets her slide, but gives her a new partner. And that's how she gets partnered with the dog. And at first, she has a lot of resistance to that because she thinks the dog isn't going to make a good partner. You know, what kind of conversations can they have in the car? She doesn't want to have to take care of the dog. But she soon realizes that, wow, this is the best partner she could ever have. And not only does she have a great partner at work, she's got, you know, a a partner in life, really, because she and Bridget become best friends and, and very, very close, even off the job once they learn to stop butting heads. <laughs> but there's a lot of humor from that. And then over the uh, course of the series, you know, Megan gradually gets more and more confident. Her real hope is that eventually she'll become a detective. And she's always finding ways to insinuate herself in the investigations of these cases. And of course, the detectives are more than happy to have this overzealous um, beat cop assist them because they can always use more help and there's never, you know, enough time to, to put into all these cases. So She's getting smarter. She's learning better how to read the dog's signals. The dog's name is Bridget, and uh, Megan's getting better at that. And the detectives are taking her more and more under their wing to groom her to become a detective later on. There you go. And we won't give away any more than that for sure. So what are some of the, uh, without giving away the whole book, obviously, some of the fun turns and twists that people can look forward to. I I know, obviously, we talked about the the various types of animals at the zoo that go missing, but maybe highlight that and and then some things that uh, are are a little bit maybe out of the norm or they hadn't expected uh, to happen in their uh, all their investigations. Well, the the zoo animals that disappear become bigger and bigger animals. And so obviously the person who's taking the animals is getting bolder and getting better at what they do. And this is kind of a funny little inside secret here, but when I wrote the synopsis and sent it into my publisher, 
And, and this is all in the back of the book, so I'm not giving any spoilers here, but the final big animal that disappears is a rhino. So I turned in my synopsis and I said, a rhino disappears. And I, I had no idea how that rhino was going to get out of the zoo. <laughs> I thought, I'll be curious to see how I do that. And actually, I, I solved the mystery. I was driving out to see my daughter in California. So at the time I was living in Texas, driving out to LA, and I was about in the middle of the desert in Arizona when I finally figured out how the heck I was going to get that rhino out of the zoo with nobody, you know, without setting off alarms and no one noticing. <laughs> so Getting the rhino out of the zoo, that's a problematic number one. And then where do you store a rhino? That's that's <laughs> so I can Im- I can imagine your uh, your editor getting that and then looking at the synopsis thinking, okay, yeah, missing animal but rhino. Okay, yeah, let's let's just sign her now just to see if she can actually uh, make a rhino disappear. <laughs> like David Copperfield and the elephant, right? That's right, that's right. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So when the, um, I want to talk to you after the next break a little bit about your writing and how that all came about, but I will highlight real quick, you know, your experiences. I mean, how much do you have to pull on your past professional experiences, your past life, we'll call it, and compare it to being an author now? Is some of that easier for you because you're able to pull from that and those experiences with law enforcement and apply them to uh, a little bit, uh, I'll say a lighter novel? Or is it uh, sometimes a conflict because you have to, you know, the seriousness of law enforcement compared to, you know, a a nice, interesting, uh, thrilling mystery with uh, a dog and a a police officer who wants to be a detective? Well, I think it gives me a, definitely gave me a broader perspective on um, the relationships between civil and criminal law and how sometimes, you know, cases can kind of skirt both those or, or straddle the line between both of those. It also gave me a realization that, Despite the fact that we have laws, enforcement may not be nearly as good as we would like. There's not enough resources. Law enforcement resources are stretched very thin. Um, There's definitely priorities that have to be made. And definitely for my first series, my Death and Taxes series that started started the IRS agent, uh, Tara Holloway, I drew a lot on my former life as, as a tax advisor and working for the state attorney general's office in that series because I had ran into white collar crime constantly. So I wrote a lot about white collar crime in that series. And uh, my IRS agent would come home after a hard day at work and she had her two cats to greet her. So <laughs> Henry and Anne. So there was, there was pets in that one, although they were not quite as front and center as Bridget is in my canine series. But, but yeah, I, I do draw on it a lot. But the longer I've been writing, I think the farther I'm getting away from that because I'm starting to have fun being these characters who are nothing like me and much braver, much more um, adventurous, willing to take a lot of risks. You know, that's part of the fun. It's, it's almost like playing dolls or acting as a character when we write these stories and that's part of the fun of it being so yeah yeah, and I, I think it's brilliant. I, I love how you uh, wrap that up because I, I was thinking the same thing. Because as a uh, as a writer, especially when writing you know fiction and uh, writing novels, and especially if it's a continuing line or series, or some of the characters continue to appear like Megan does, you can sort of take on a different persona. Just like being an actor, you you know, oftentimes when you meet actors in person, they're nothing like you would expect them to. You know, you expect the uh, or even comedians, you expect the comedian to always be funny, and that's not always the case. Yeah, that's very true. So it gives you a chance as an author to really sort of highlight some things that maybe you wished were in your personality or just uh, you can bring out for a short period of time and then come back to uh, to reality a little bit. Right. And be our boring old selves. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go back to your boring life. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, we're going to take a, a quick commercial break, uh, but then we'll come back with uh, author Diane Kelly, talk to her a little bit more about the latest book, Paul of the Jungle, and also talk to her about her, uh, her writing styles and how she uh, 
actually got started in all this. So it's, uh, we'll continue our conversation with Diane Kelly right after this break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with author Diane Kelly on her latest book, Paw of the Jungle. So, Diane, let's talk about you know your background a little bit. I know the details behind that, but how do you transition from being in, uh, you know, uh, assistant attorney general and uh, all your background in law enforcement to now being an author, was it something that you you sort of worked toward that, always wanting to be an author, or was it like, okay, I'm done with this, I got to go do something that's fun in life? I wouldn't say it's not fun being in law enforcement, but something a little bit lighter, we'll say. How did all that come about? Well, it kind of happened uh, little by little and by circumstance. So. When I first got out of law school, my first job was working for a big accounting firm down in Houston, did that about a year. And then my boyfriend finally got the guts to propose to me. So <laughs> married him, moved back to Austin while he was finishing up graduate school. That's where I worked as um, an assistant attorney general for the state of Texas. And at that time, I was only in my mid-20s. And, you know, having been an accounting major for undergrad, you know, with a bunch of people who were fairly straight-laced. I assumed when I took this job at the attorney general's office that, you know, there wouldn't be a whole lot of work to do. You know, they hired me primarily to work on um, financial issues, the civil side of it, but a lot of it did involve white collar crime and to handle disciplinary actions against CPAs. And I thought, oh, well, there's not going to be much work because CPAs are so straight laced. Well, boy, was I wrong. It was unbelievable to me how many people were doing all kinds of shenanigans, falsifying financial statements, issuing clean audit reports on statements that they hadn't even really looked into the matters. And it was a real eye opener of just how prevalent white collar crime is. And then from there, my husband got a postdoc fellowship in California. So we moved out there and I went back to work at the accounting firm doing um, tax research and worked a few times with one of the partners there who was a really, really nice guy. And he ended up getting arrested in the biggest tax shelter fraud case. He worked for a white collar criminal there. And then also during that time, just a few years later, I found out that the attorney general, Dan Morales, that I'd worked under also got arrested for um, white collar crime. And that's back when the tobacco company lawsuits were being settled and money was being sent to the states that they were supposed to be spending on anti-smoking campaigns. And he had diverted some of that to his cronies law firms and committed all kinds of wire fraud, tax fraud, all kinds of stuff. So, so here it was people I had worked for and with 
you know, committing white collar crime. It was just unbelievable. So that got me fascinated with white collar crime. So that's kind of where that fascination started. Then we had a couple kids in there and I went to work, you know, just part-time basis so I could be home with my children. And I started feeling like I needed something fun for me. I think that's probably typical of, of a parent who spends a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only so many Barney uh, shows you can watch. <laughs> yeah, I wanted something. I wanted to go somewhere where I could just be Diane and not mom and, and wife and all that. So I took a continuing education course at the University of Texas at Arlington in creative writing. And boy, I met some wonderful people there that I'm still friends with to this day. We formed a critique group. Then I joined um, Romance Writers of America, Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime. They're three wonderful um, writing organizations mm-hmm. that I learned so much from the speakers. And so what, what kind of you know started as you know a hobby or an escape for me, you know, I'd always liked writing as a kid. And anytime we had writing projects in school, I loved it. And I'd had these stories kind of kicking around in my head over the years. But, but that was when I really had time to start working on them. And at first it was just a hobby, but then I started meeting people who were published and I thought, you know, the only difference between them and me is they've been doing this longer and they've you know paid their dues and learned how to do this. And I'm kind of one of those people that if I set my mind to something, a lot of times I'll, I'll get to where I want to be if I don't decide along the way, it's not worth it. <laughs> but I decided this really was worth it to me. I was having a good time. And, you know, if I could somehow make this into a real job and make a living at it, I wanted to do that because it was just so much fun. It's like getting paid to play all day. So what better thing than that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, yeah. It happened in increments. <laughs> and you don't have to, I, I would assume you don't have to worry about anybody on your uh, your friends and your critique team being a white collar criminal. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're all. <laughs> they're I guess it depends on how much your royalty checks are and how much you have to divert <laughs> to different areas. I'm not sure. <laughs> So that's quite a life that, and you're you're just getting started. So uh, you know it's quite a roller coaster because I, I can imagine you know coming from you know my background. I spent 20 years as a telecom executive, so I dealt with you know major corporations and CEOs of the biggest companies in the world. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, I had a shift where almost 15 plus years ago, I started working with animals and then started writing and publishing and writing books and things like that. And you know, I, I think my experiences from the past, from at least from a business standpoint definitely helped with the new career but it, it's definitely totally you know when you tell somebody what do you do now compared to what you used to do it's it's night and day yeah people's reactions are very different and they kind of look at you like ooh, what's going on in your head <laughs> <laughs> exactly i'm having fun and somebody's paying for it so that's good news <laughs> you have a crazy place in there <laughs> that's right that's right they're, they're so tell me then, going back to the book, Paul of the Jungle, you've got some obviously reoccurring characters in there. It always fascinates me when you're writing a series, how do you keep those sorted? How do you keep those characters fresh? And how do you know when to introduce new storylines, new characters into the novels? Yeah, so there's several characters. There's a, there's a detective, Hector Bustamante, who's been there for several of Megan's cases, and he's working on this case with her at the zoo. And very nice guy, you know, he's become a mentor to her. And, you know, when I first started out writing this series, first I had a female detective that took Megan under her wing. And then, then I thought, well, you know, it's, it's going to get boring if it's the same characters every time. And a police station would have more than one detective. So I think I should alternate. So that's when I brought him in, Hector Bustamante. The other one is Aubrey Jackson. And she's, she's in the book that I'm working on now. I kind of alternate them back and forth where they take Megan under their wing for the, the case. But I introduce new characters, you know, sometimes when I just kind of feel like, you know, you're, it's like you're having a party and you've talked to the same people and heard all their stories and you want someone new to come. <laughs> 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 you kind of get that feeling of like, 
oh, I wonder who else is out there. And sometimes they just sort of walk into my brain and, and kick the inside of my skull and say, hey, I'm here and, and force their way in. And, you know, I don't have any choice. I can't ignore them because they won't let me. <laughs> well, you know, because it, 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 to me, it's always fascinating because, uh, as I mentioned, when you write in a, a series or, you know, uh, multiple series at a time, the audience, your fans, want to see the, the main characters, and they want to know what they're doing next. They develop this bond and this this relationship with them. Uh, but like you said, you have to balance that because uh, you don't want to get still. You know, how many times can Megan or someone else be around? How can you make her fresh and different, and how can she learn? Right. Yeah. Growth is important. Even in, you know, um, series where, you know, somebody's going to be doing similar type cases or, you know, there's going to be a case in each thing. There's going to be some similarities between each thing. If there's not some growth, you know, on a personal level and on a professional level, the character starts to feel like a cookie cutter and doesn't feel as real, I think, because we constantly change. We're all people, you know, none of us are the same person today that we were 10 years ago, five years ago, or maybe even a week ago. And I think we'd be boring if we were. And we need to be open to those uh, opportunities for growth and to learn, too. So our character should be the same way. Absolutely. That makes sense. Makes sense. So then let's let's pick your brain a little bit about being a, a writer, being an author. Are you very storyline-driven and write everything out in advance? Are you up at 5 a.m. and in 5,000 words, period, every day? Or, or are you like me, oh, my gosh, two weeks before this thing's due, I better get something on paper? <laughs> I'm a little bit like that. Panic is a, is a good motivator. <laughs> and I do, I do work well under pressure. It seems like sometimes these ideas sort of know, like, I don't have to quite come yet. I can percolate back here. And also, you know, I, I do like to let things percolate for a while because sometimes, you know, something will pop up I hadn't thought about. But I do always outline my books in advance. I know there's some people who can just sit down and see what happens. But I, you know, I guess maybe it's my accounting background. I can't even imagine that. To me, that's like setting out on a trip without a map or your GPS and just hoping you get there. So I actually learned this really great outlining technique from, and I, I can't, I want to say it was Joanne Pence, who is a mystery author. And I think she got it from somebody else, but it was at a conference. And so I do a spreadsheet that has five columns. The first column is a scene number. The next column is the day and date that helps to keep your chronology straight. The third is a list of the characters in the scene. The fourth column is um, the setting. And the last column is what happens or what's said in that scene. And I find if I go through several drafts of that spreadsheet, you know, I'll have my story pretty well ironed out. And I still have surprises that pop up within that framework, you know, as I'm going along, all of a sudden I'll notice, you know, themes that are popping up or things that are related or, you know, a better idea will occur to me and I'll go in and, and tweak that as I go. But I have to have at least a rough roadmap or I think I would write much, much slower and write myself into a corner a lot of times. And I can't say I'm that thorough. I'll just say from speaking to thousands of other authors and <laughs> getting to know quite a few of them, obviously, over the years, each author, you know, each writer does something different, you know, but I do think that in my belief is, especially when you're talking about, you know, a fiction piece, a novel piece, you know, having the story, and if it's a series in particular, you got to have it mapped out. Because you could get the end and not know how you're going to finish that up, or you may have, you know, went back and added something that was from a previous book in the series. Right, or you know, if you start moving things around, and all of a sudden your chronology is messed up. But, but an interesting thing that happened though, I also have a, a new series, the first of which just launched in January of this year, and it has a cat in it. Uh, it's called the House Flipper series, and in the Pond enforcement series, I do chapters from the canine's point of view, and in this new series, I do chapters from the cat's point of view. There's a cat mm -hmm. named Sawdust that's owned by a carpenter. 
But this new series is what they call a cozy mystery series, which means you normally have a handful of suspects, you know, five or six suspects. And with my other series, they were more procedural. It was more about how is the cop or the IRS agent going to pull the clues together and find whoever did it. There would sometimes be, you know, a few suspects, but there wasn't so much focus on multiple suspects and bringing in and eliminating the clues that either were either point to them or point away from them. And so when I first started writing this new series, my spreadsheet just seemed overwhelming and I began to panic. I thought I can't keep, you know, wrap my mind around all this. So I did have to tweak my process a little bit and I got out um, index cards and I did a different color pen for each suspect and kind of wrote their trajectory, you know, what first made them seem like a suspect, you know, the other clues that either pointed to or away from them and then how it's finally resolved, why they, they were or weren't the bad guy. And then once I did that, I kind of storyboarded it, you know, put those all down and, and arranged them. And then I could build my spreadsheet from there. But it, it, but it did, you know, throw an additional step in my process because it just, it was a lot to mentally manage. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, and uh, I think it's always a good idea, you know, to storyboard it, to have the outline, to have, uh, especially in a novel, getting from point A to point Z. I would assume that it's the same. I don't do it. I will admit, I'll be the first to admit, I, of course, I write a, uh, mostly nonfiction. And so, uh, but even with that, you got to have an idea of where you want to go with this, uh, not just, uh, you could very well end up being uh, endlessly repeating yourself or telling the same stories over and over. Right. And you still got to organize the material. I've done some, you know, tax articles and things like that. And sometimes figuring out, you know, how to organize all that material is, is the key to it being clear and concise and communicating the best. That's right. That makes sense to me. So when everybody picks up a copy of Paw of the Jungle by Diane Kelly and they read through it and they thoroughly enjoy it and tell all their friends and uh, they don't give their friends the book. They make them go out and buy their own book. <laughs> what do you hope they get from it? What are your, what is a goal or something that you want uh, when they read this book, Paul of the Jungle? Well, I have kind of a couple goals. I mean, primarily it's to entertain people. You know, I feel like life is tough. It can be hard. It can be grueling. It can be boring. And, you know, my, my primary goal with my books, you know, in writing them for myself, it's to entertain myself. And then in putting them out there, it's to entertain people. But I also like when I read books and there's some kind of takeaway value that I've learned a little something. And so I do hope that people learn a little bit about animal welfare, about the loss of habitat and what's that that's doing to a lot of these um, animal populations. And I talk a little bit about that in the book, you know, debates about about zoos and whether animals, you know, whether it's a good idea to have animals in zoos or preserves, you know, where they should be. And, and you know, sometimes I haven't even formed my opinion on this, but I'm just, you know, hope that it'll get people thinking about it. And, you know, what's our relationship with animals and what do we owe them protection wise and things like that. Yeah. And you draw that perfectly in the book, you know, and that's the thing. It's thoroughly enjoyable. You can get lost in it. Love the characters as well. And uh, some of the takeaways, you know, even even if you, you read it from uh, going into it just as a pure pleasure read or an intriguing read, we'll say, uh, the fact in this book, and particularly when you draw in the zoo and, and the theft of animals, these type of things, uh, immediately is like, wow, how often does – I've heard about them escaping, but how often does this happen? And as you said, you know, you do a little research. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is, happens a little bit more often than I expected, so you can learn a little bit more from them. Right. Yeah, when, it, when there's money to be made from animals, sometimes that can lead to you know unscrupulous people trying to exploit that. Yeah, unfortunately, you are correct. So the uh, book is Paul of the Jungle by Diane Kelly. Diane, where can people pick up the book, find out more about you and all the activities you've got going on? So as far as, as getting the book, bookstores will have it. Uh, some of the bigger Walmarts carry the Pond Enforcement series. 
online. You can get it through walmart.com, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, Powell's. There's IndieBound for your find indie bookstores that carry it. My website is diannekelly.com, which is spelled D-I-A-N-E-K-E-L-L-Y.com. And I've got a books page on there that um, gives you know short descriptions of all my books and shows all the covers and all that if they're interested. I have a newsletter sign up there. I have an author Facebook page. that's author Diane Kelly. And I post a lot of things on there. Actually, a lot of funny things about animals. So if people want some, you know, they like the kitten videos and the sunny dog videos, that's the place to go. There you go. <laughs> Put a smile on people's face. So, and that's on Instagram and Twitter at, at Diane Kelly Books. Excellent. So we'll make sure everybody uh, hears that, and obviously we'll post that as well. So we have that, and uh, everybody go pick up a copy of the latest book, Paul of the Jungle by Diane Kelly. Tracker, see what's going on. Uh, get those funny little videos and postings. Uh, you, you're definitely going to have a lot of fun with it. So, Diane, congratulations again on a uh, another wonderful book, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you down the road. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any ideas, comments, or people you want to see on the show or hear on the show, I should say, uh, just drop us a line. Go to PetLifeRadio.com. Send us your comments, ideas, questions, people you want to hear from, and we'll definitely make it happen. While you're there, check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on the network. There is a plethora of wonderful entertainment. That's PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a blog, write in an article, put it in a book, and who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.